What song are you talking about? There, I think no. that's a Jesus song. Are you talking about sin <laughs> or Jesus? <laughs> Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, welcome to another holiday episode of Pennies and Popcorn. We have a very fun guest with us today. Our good friend Doug Cunnington from the Mile Hi-Fi podcast is hanging out with us today to talk about some Christmas movies. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're pretty excited. So I think we should start off by asking what is everyone's favorite Christmas movie? Doug? Well... I think it's the movie that we're going to talk about, luckily. So (laughs) National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And it's one that um, I've watched for, I mean, since it came out, I think, almost every single year. And I was a fan of the Lampoon movies as well, like the the Summer Vacation one, one of my favorites as well. So, yeah, pretty easy. There's a couple in second place, but this is the top spot. That's pretty solid. There was one Christmas when we were with your family and there was a movie on TV that we started watching that was like a shark, like Santa Jaws was the name of the movie. Santa Jaws was the name of that Um, film. That was some quality cinema right there. That's not my favorite. I'm going to have to go with Home Alone. (laughs) I'm a Home Alone guy. Yeah, I think I'm probably right there with you. I also really love Home Alone, but I really like A Christmas Story too, which you hate. So that's, you know, caused a little bit of a rift in the marriage, but we're we're working through it, guys. It's going to be okay. Why don't you like it? It's just, it's, I, is there any redeeming quality in that movie? I feel like the plot is silly. I feel like the characters aren't that great. I feel like that Ralphie kid is just dumb as a box of rocks. I, man, I just, I don't get it. <laughs> what do people like? It's hilarious. What's up with the weird, like, bunny costume? I, the bunny I really costume is it. one of my favorite parts. I love the, the leg bunny lamp? costume. Give me a break. The leg lamp is great. The whole like soap in the mouth thing. Oh, I do love that. The Yeah, I'm, I have somewhere. I actually couldn't find it for a Christmas party we had last weekend, but I have a Christmas story themed t-shirt that says, oh, fudge on it, which is one of my favorites. But I think there are tons of redeeming qualities. It's a fantastic film. But today, we're going to focus on Doug's favorite film, which is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Interestingly, the only one of the National Lampoon movies where they don't travel at all. They're like just totally at home. The vacation comes to them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's true. They do have a lot of family piling in on them. So anybody have any like fun facts about this movie before we kind of dig into the plot? So if we're going to talk about our favorite Christmas movies, I think we should talk about Chevy Chase and... The intended director of this movie, Chris Columbus, who was initially going to be the director and disliked working with Chevy Chase so much that he quit and decided to walk away. Wow. And then I think John Hughes is the writer's name who put mm-hmm. this together. He gave him Home Alone soon after to go direct. And just based off the box office performance, I think Mr. Columbus made the right call. Wow. Yeah, I've heard uh, Chevy is hard to work with from like. All the way until recent shows like uh, Community. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've also heard that Chevy is kind of a jackass in real life. But he makes for a great Clark Griswold in the movies, so I don't totally begrudge him. But uh, yeah, apparently not a nice guy. Also, was that the same Chris Columbus who did 
one of the Harry Potter movies, I think. I'm not sure, but it is not the one who like got credit for discovering America. Oh, okay. Different guy. <laughs> Different guy. All right, that clears that up for me. That was my next question. Uh, yeah, if that's the same guy that I'm thinking of and I'm not confident that it is, I cannot picture how these movies would have come out if they'd been in his hands. That feels like it could have been a really weird fit. So probably a good call all around. So one thing that I read that I thought was interesting about this movie, Johnny Galecki makes one of his first film appearances playing the young character of Rusty in this film. And apparently he looks back at it and thinks like that they he just can't understand why they cast him for this role because he feels like he's not a comedic actor, which feels so crazy because his biggest thing that he's known for is the Big Bang Theory, right? Which is a sitcom. It's like all comedy. Yeah. Wasn't he like a brooding kid in Roseanne around the same time too? Yeah. Yeah. Also like his, a sitcom. His whole career is comedy and somehow he feels like he's not a comedic actor, which uh, feels a little feels a little strange. Yeah. But uh, I guess he started off on the comic path pretty young and making his appearance in this movie. I felt like he was an appropriate child actor for the role. Yeah. No, he it did worked. a great job, right? Yes. I feel like he mainly just walked around kind of awkward, though. So that <laughs> yeah. makes sense. So he's not like getting any big punchlines generally, or at least not intentionally funny punchlines. It's just awkward. Yeah, yeah so that's that true. Sense. But he's in that age range where kids just kind of are awkward. Are awkward, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. Sorry to all you young folks out there. <laughs> so one other thing I thought was funny is um there's a scene where a cat gets electrocuted do you guys remember this oh yeah and apparently some people who were involved in the film thought that they should cut it because it was just too like traumatic for the viewers but when they ran it with test audiences it got like the highest rankings from them everyone was like this is my favorite scene i love the cat so uh, apparently there's a lot of cat haters out there I mean, did I they know. have an initial version where they really showed a lot of the violence? It's just this like <laughs> caricature of a, you know, a yeah. police line around the dead body, right? Yeah, this movie really feels like a live action cartoon in so many ways, right? Like all of the ridiculous abuse that these characters take, like when Clark Griswold is in the attic and he gets slammed with the, <laughs> with the planks of wood twice, I think, right? It happens like twice back to back. You would just be probably in the hospital if that happened to you but he just shakes it off and everything's fine um so. also that scene where he's stuck in the attic like why doesn't he just push the ladder down i don't we understand wondering that and he was even sitting on the ladder yeah. right so There's, whenever uh, ellen yeah. got home there was no latch right it's just like a drawstring it's just like the ladder at our house to get to the attic mm-hmm. like, i'm confident like we should we should do an experiment, Carla. <laughs> After we finish recording, let's send you up to the attic and have you sit on it and should see we, if it can. Let's can just hold. pause this whole operation and go do it right now. I like it. Okay, we'll be back. Um, actually, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah, that that is an excellent question. Also, related question. At some point, he falls through like the sheetrock of the ceiling onto a bunk bed below. Which one lucky spot to fall through the sheetrock? Two, if he's already created a giant hole in the sheetrock, why isn't he just climbing through the hole and like getting back down to the rest of the house? Well, there's a lot of sentimentality up there for him to watch those oh, okay. old Christmas films. Mm-hmm. Mr. Griswold, he just he just wants a big family Christmas. Yeah, that's true. That's the whole point of the movie. So, I mean, we're kind of like giving away lots of plot points here. I think we do. We, do... do we need a spoiler alert? <laughs> <laughs> so, this movie came out in 1989, and it's a Christmas movie. It's one of those that's like always on TV. So, 
I don't feel like we're uh, going to spoil anything for folks here. But we can do like a super high-level plot summary. Take it away. So it's basically the Griswold family, which is Clark, the dad, Ellen, the mom, and then their two kids, Rusty and Audrey. And instead of going anywhere, as we pointed out for the film, everybody just piles in on them. So they have both sets of grandparents, I think like a couple aunts and uncles too, and then Cousin Eddie, played by Randy Quaid, who is now crazy in real life too. Oh, he is? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, he's kind of gone off the deep end. Um, but yeah, they all just pile in on the Griswolds and have kind of a, like a crazy Christmas together. That's pretty much the whole plot of the movie. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. It's yeah. a fun time. It's a lighthearted Christmas gag, right? Yeah. yeah, it's only like an hour and a half. It's like good comedy length for a movie, I think. It's perfect. Yeah, and with the the summary, I rewatched it recently and I noticed like a cartoon they just put together some scenes that are just kind of random, like the sledding scene. Yeah. There's a couple others where they don't really add anything to the plot other than, than someone kind of getting hurt and someone <laughs> doing something stupid, like a cartoon. Yeah, that's so true. It really is just very cartoon-like. So the opening credits, I think, are in cartoon. There's like a, they are. Like a gag reel of Santa getting clobbered in various ways. Uh, so yeah, that whole theme just sort of carries on throughout the entire film. You know, one fun fact that I forgot to share is that the movie is set in the Chicago area, but they filmed a lot of it in Colorado, right? A lot of it was filmed in Summit County before they went to studio filming in Southern California, where you'd normally expect that work to be done. So there's a bunch of scenes where they're going out into the forest or they're driving around or they're going sledding, um, in the mountains. (laughs) I don't know if you know your geography, but there's not very many mountains near Chicago. Kind of a long way you got to go. Yep, that is an excellent point. Uh, it's also a good lead-in to our first clip because the first clip we're going to play is the family driving down this very scenic highway, which, as you pointed out, that is filmed in Colorado. I think it's just outside of Silverthorne, which is a very scenic, beautiful place. And the family is on their way to go chop down a Christmas tree. So let's take a listen. Dad! Didn't they invent Christmas tree lots so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday? They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special meaning. (sighs) My toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hips. Clark. Yes, honey. Audrey's frozen from the waist down. Uh, that's all part of the experience, honey. Dad, did you bring a saw? <laughs> you gotta love that sound effect, right? As you say, you could have edited that clip differently, but you wanted to keep that in. I really did. I love that sound effect. There are some times in life where I wish so badly that I had like a little machine that I could carry around. I guess my cell phone could do this, where I could just like play on-demand cartoon sounds. I feel like I could use this one a lot. I would get a lot of mileage out of this one if I had it like at the ready all the time. Um, okay, so they're driving somewhere like into the mountains, which doesn't make sense because they're in Chicago, to cut down a Christmas tree. So Christmas trees are not an inexpensive thing to do every year. So let's take a poll here. Who's team real Christmas tree versus team fake Christmas tree? Doug? Fake Christmas tree. So in the, in the past, 
we would buy a tree and you know the the cut cut ones um but like a couple years ago we're like ah we're just gonna go artificial and actually it, it fits better it's a lot easier to deal with overall robert so growing up we would go out to a christmas tree farm every year and it was awesome it was so much fun i, I really loved that journey and that experience but it was a lot of work right we'd go cut down the tree we'd bring it to the house we'd have to like clean it so in the show there's like a squirrel in the tree uh, we, my parents would do a really good job of making sure that wouldn't happen we did that when I was a kid and it was a lot of fun but as an adult I'm definitely all about team artificial so much easier so much more consistency so much better value uh, the other thing you I think you could spice it up maybe like once every few years go and get a real tree and then make it special but if you get a real tree every year it's just what you expect, and I don't know. Like, I feel like the luster gets lost, especially if you don't have young kids who are really excited about something bizarre like a tree in the house. <laughs> if it's just the two of us, a fake plastic thing is probably fine. Yeah, I am definitely on Team Artificial too. I don't think I have ever had a real Christmas tree. And I actually just had my mind blown. Like, a couple of weeks ago, we were seeing my family for Thanksgiving, and we were having this conversation about real versus artificial and I was like, well, we never had a real one as a kid because, Dad, you were always allergic. And he was like, what? No, I wasn't. I've never been allergic to Christmas trees. And my whole childhood just, like, like shifted. I had no idea. I always thought that was the reason. So that was the lie. I, I guess so. I don't know. But anyway, apparently we could have had a real tree all those years. But I feel like artificial trees are great. All trees are going to make some kind of a mess, whether they're real or fake, right? They all shed the little needles. But I feel like artificial trees make way less of a mess. And the artificial trees are dramatically cheaper. So do you know how much you guys spend on your artificial tree? I think 150 bucks or something. Yeah, that sounds about right. So you can get like a little short one for like 20 bucks probably. But if you're getting like a, you know, six to eight foot good size Christmas tree, you're probably looking at spending like, maybe 150 to 300 dollars, depending on how fancy you want to get they do have trees that are very expensive you can spend up to like a thousand bucks on like some super nice tree but in general artificial trees are not crazy expensive and they should last for a really long time i was gonna say we were lucky to inherit some trees from your parents when they moved when we first got married mm -hmm. they bought some trees themselves that they had on sale they said we don't need these older ones take them and we still have them. They, they are yeah, they're still doing they're great. near the end of their life, I'd yeah. say. But that was almost 15 years ago. Yeah, at least. So it's a good investment, I think. If you're going the real tree route, obviously you have to do it every single year. And on average, a real tree is going to cost you anywhere from like 80 to 100 bucks for like an average-ish size tree. So unless you're buying one of the $1,000 artificial trees and getting rid of it, after a stupidly short amount of time, an artificial tree is definitely going to be the more cost-effective option. All right, Carla, got a got a wrinkle to throw in there. Throw it so, at me. in the movie, they go into the woods and cut down a tree. Right? It seems sort of like as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, it's not like it's their property. You can't just go somewhere and cut down a tree. That's not how the world works. Well, but, first of all, they don't cut it, Robert. They dig it up because they forgot a saw. Well, very good point. <laughs> However, in the real world, you can do this. So there are places, state parks and national parks, some of them have lotteries, some of them have quotas 
uh, I said national parks, probably more like a national forest or Bureau of Land Management land. You can actually go apply for a permit and go cut a tree down. And in some places, it's like 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Your only cost is the gas to get there and uh, the, the human capital to go cut it down. Saws are not provided. Bring your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of friends in Montana that did that, which I think is probably easier because the population there is only like a million for such a big state. So, yeah, that was pretty popular. We, we never did that. And actually, I, I kind of forgot we didn't even have an artificial tree for a couple of years. We just set up like a camera tripod that I had and put some lights on it and then put a couple <laughs> ornaments. I mean, it was totally like cheap, but we're like, ah, we don't want to buy one. Let's just use what we have. We don't want to make a mess. So yeah. you can be creative. That's so true. There are all kinds of things. I've actually seen people um, make tr- Christmas trees out of books. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Where they like stack the books in a slowly like a like, cone. shrink. Yeah, like a cone shape, like a tree shape. And it looks super, super pretty. So yeah, there's all kinds of things you could do. You don't get an excuse to buy more books, Carla. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what about the environmental impact? What do you think is better for the environment? Real trees or artificial trees? Well, if you don't cut down the real trees, there's some good carbon sequestration there. I think it's probably a good thing. But <laughs> I think when you cut it down, maybe that, that doesn't really help. Yeah. What do you think, Doug? What's your guess? Oh, I bet the artificial trees are better. So they are if you keep them for a long enough time period. And there's not a real consensus on how long that is. I saw some that were as short as seven years, which seems totally reasonable. We've kept some of ours for at least, or one of ours for at least uh, twice that long. And other people say, though, that it's more like 20 years, which we're getting close to that. But I don't know if we will keep the ones we have for a full 20 years. I don't know. But yeah, if you keep them for a good long time, which you should, then you're looking at a better, better environmental impact for the artificial trees. You know, Carla, something that just occurred to me on the cost impact of these trees is the storage, right? Not everybody has a large enough dwelling where they can keep a Christmas tree for the long haul, right? It's going to sit there unused for 11 plus months out of the year. If you have to get a bigger place to store that Christmas tree, <laughs> the math may not work out. Let's go house shopping. Uh, yeah, that would obviously be a terrible idea. So uh, nobody go buy a new house to fit a tree. That's not a good economical decision. Or rent a storage unit at your apartment complex. Yeah. Yeah. That's also probably going to lean you towards getting a, a real tree every year. So let's go ahead and move into our second clip, which is... Clark and Ellen talking about Cousin Eddie, who is not doing super great in life. Um, He and his wife, Catherine, have two pretty young kids, and apparently they're not super prepared for Christmas and these kids. I have this terrible suspicion that Catherine and Eddie don't have any presents for their kids. Rocky said something about Eddie telling him that Santa Claus wasn't coming this year. Yeah, Ruby Sue said something like that last night. How can they have nothing for their children? Well, he's been out of work for close to seven years. In seven years, he couldn't find a job? Catherine says he's been holding out for a management position. Seven years, that's a long time. So do you know what Cousin Eddie was doing before this, Carla? No. What about you, Doug? I remember he had some worm farm (laughs) stuff going on from the first movie. Yeah. So was the Vegas vacation the first one? Uh, No, No, uh, that came later. Okay. 
So on one of the other ones where he was involved, he said something about losing his job at the asbestos plant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think he previously worked in asbestos manufacturing and is trying to get back into that game. Probably not going to work out for him. When did they stop doing that? I have no idea, but I'm, I'm guessing he was one of the last people in that industry. <laughs> I'm guessing, so I know that asbestos litigation was a huge thing in like the 80s. So I'm guessing they probably stopped doing it in like the 70s sometime. That's so my guess. The This movie came out seven years after the first one or one of the prior ones when that statement was made. So you know, if you connect the dots, that, that there's right. a lot of interesting callbacks between these movies where you can see stuff like in the house that was from the places they went or the like the eggnog mug that they were drinking out of. And one of the scenes yeah. was from Wally World. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is the Wally world. Yeah, it's Wally. The little yeah. moose, yeah. Oh. Yeah, there are a lot of fun little Easter eggs like that. That's true. Um, okay, so a lot to talk about in this clip. One, I think when you're a parent, Christmas time can be super, super stressful, right? Because your kids, especially, uh, well, parents who are listening, be aware we are about to discuss Santa Claus and some of his secrets. So you might want to turn down the volume for a little bit. Um, So I'm going to assume that's happened. So, um, yeah, if you are a kid and... You just ruined Christmas, Carla. (laughs) You're going to grow up fast. Sorry. (laughs) If you still believe in Santa Claus, or if you're a parent who has kids who still believe in Santa Claus, then Christmas time can be really tough, right? Because you have this pressure to make your kids feel loved by this fictional character who doesn't have any financial limitations, right? There's no like Christmas lore about Santa Claus only being able to provide the expensive toys to kids who live in expensive neighborhoods. In fact, there are lots of Christmas songs about doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, he loves you just the same. So parents are like... What, what song are you talking about? I think no. that's a Jesus song. Are you talking about Santa or Jesus? <laughs> No, it's definitely a Christmas Christmas carol. It's talking about Santa. I'll have to look this up later. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes. But I promise you there's a Christmas song that's like, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, he loves you just the same. I promise that's a thing. Is this like part of a prayer or something? No. All right, I'm going to look this up, and you're all going to feel silly because it's like a famous Christmas carol. Are we talking about Frosty the Snowman? I'm so confused. Yeah. It's It's one of the famous ones. Anyway... Yeah, as a parent, you know that, right? You know that this fictional Santa dude can supposedly like make Christmas wishes come true if only your kid is like nice enough. So if you've got a great kid, that's got to be a really tough thing to do. To feel like you have to live up to what this fictional dude can provide. He's always watching over you. Yeah. Like when you go to the bathroom. when you're yeah. sleeping. Do you guys know that Christmas carol? I feel like I'm yeah. the only one who listens to Christmas songs around here. Yes. Okay. Um, well, good for uh, Cousin Eddie. I get the sense that his kids aren't that well behaved. So maybe they don't deserve that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that could be the case. The girl seems pretty good. What's her name? Something Sue. Ruby Sue. Ruby Sue. Ruby she Sue. seems all right. Yeah, and she's yeah, in she one of does. the later movies, right? Yeah, I remember her in Vegas Vacation as kind of a wild child in her teenage years. But in this one, she's just like a cute little, I'm going to guess, seven-year-old. Yeah. yeah. So so if you're a parent in that situation, I think you happen to live in kind of a golden age, right? There are so many social programs out there uh, where they, they try to pair up gifts. Like there's such a social push for giving gifts to children who who don't have it because of that sort of societal expectation. There, there's a sort of 
influx of charity that time of year and a lot of places you could go to to help you out, right? Yeah. I mean, I, Toys for Tots is the most famous one. There was something about like an angel tree that uh, my old law firm used to participate in. So yeah, there are a lot of programs for kids to get toys at Christmas time. I don't know exactly what it takes to qualify for those programs because we don't have kids, so that was never on our radar. But presumably, if they're in pretty bad straits, maybe they could have tried to make something like that happen. So here is the really thorny question. Do you think that donating to programs like that is a good use of any extra funds that you might have earmarked for charity? Well, I'm kind of a Grinch. Uh-huh. So I'm going to take the unpopular position and say no. That um, while as fun as it is to make the day for a lot of children who are from a family that can't give them fun and exciting toys and, and that sort of thing, there's a lot of basic necessities out there that people need to meet. And we should maybe make sure that our charitable dollars cover those first. Yeah, I want to call you a heartless Grinch for that position. For making sure people but have water and shelter? No, I mean, it's it's just flat true, right? Like, you can't argue with that. It, I have done it many times in the past, participated in these kinds of, like, toy drives. And it's just fun, and it's exciting, and you feel so good and, like, warm and fuzzy about it. But if we like step back and zoom out a little bit, it's probably not the best use of our charitable funds, right? If we've got kids who don't have access to things like clean water and like a warm bed at night, we should probably make sure that they get those things first before we spend our money on a toy that's really only going to be meaningful to a kid for like a few months tops, right? Most of these toys get forgotten pretty quickly. So I don't know, Doug, what do you think? Are we heartless scrunches over here? Yeah, I wouldn't disagree, but... um... (laughs) But I don't. So, yeah, I think food, primarily like, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, a lot of times they'll have special meals and stuff. And that's where we've donated often versus like the toys for tots or whatever, which like like you said, it seems exciting. It's kind of fun. You're getting toys. But I mean, a lot of it's just junk. Really. Well, Carl, I've heard you talked before about effective altruism and just the idea that a lot of times what's exciting to give money to isn't the thing that moves the needle. Yeah, so there's this guy named Will McCaskill who's written a couple of books and has a website, I think it's just effectivealtruism.com, where they like talk about charities and try their hardest to measure the actual effect that those charities have on people's lives. So check out something like that if you've got some extra cash lying around this holiday season and you might feel even warmer and even fuzzier if you give to something like that instead of buying some toys that will probably be forgotten forgotten pretty darn quickly. So let's pretend that you are the Griswolds and you've got Cousin Eddie and his kids staying with you all of a sudden as a surprise. What are you going to do? Are you going to pitch in and help them buy the Christmas presents that they don't have? Are you going to you going to ice them out and uh, say, "Well, Santa did come, just just, just not for not you." Just not for you. <laughs> What would you do, Doug? Yeah, I think maybe help out a little bit, but for the instance that you're describing, like you don't want uh, the, the other kids, especially the younger ones, to not have anything. But there's this great scene in Walmart, which is the whole thing is hilarious, where uh, Clark and Eddie are walking through. And I don't think this is in a clip, so I could just say, like, Eddie eventually pulls out a list, right? And he's like, 
oh yeah, here's the list. And uh, <laughs> actually, you get yourself something nice too. So he kind of took advantage of the situation a little bit. But uh, yeah, I think maybe a couple things. I wouldn't follow his list, but just enough for the kids. Nothing else. Yeah, honestly, I know that if I were in that situation, I would get something for the two young kids that Catherine and Eddie have from a purely selfish perspective, because that's going to make for a really crappy Christmas day if like other people have stuff and those kids don't and they're like crying and sad. And I mean, it would just, I would pay money to avoid that situation. And that's what I would consider buying those gifts. Yeah, you definitely ruin Christmas morning with the family with someone sitting there like, but what, yeah. what, what about what about me? Yeah. However, I would feel cruddy about it because I would just be angry at Eddie. I would feel like I was enabling his just total lack of ambition here. Well, Carla, he's trying to get a management role. What are you upset about? <laughs> so it was seven years without any kind of work. Now he is running the worm farm. So maybe that's bringing enough money in the door to at least cover like basic expenses. No one seems hungry. But... I mean, seven years is a heck of a long time to be, quote, holding out for some kind of good job. But I do think that is a real phenomenon, right? People who have had like a higher paying, more prestigious job at some point in their life become anchored to that idea. Like, I am this kind of person. I cannot fall down the economic ladder and take something that's lower paying. So he's not alone in that. Maybe he's alone in seven whole years. That's a long time. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that, Doug? Have you ever known anybody who's like unwilling to go backwards, so to speak? Oh, yeah. You know, I haven't thought about that in a while. And I never really thought Eddie had a management position. So (laughs) (laughs) I never connected those dots. Surely he wasn't. Maybe he's not going backwards. He was just hoping to go upwards. Yeah, that could be true. (laughs) Manager of the asbestos factory or whatever. (laughs) Maybe he was. But yeah, I I definitely have seen that. And maybe, you know, for a little while early in my career, I thought, ah, I want to keep managing like bigger projects and do more things. And then as time went on, I realized, well, that actually is the opposite of what I want to do. I just want to do like easier stuff. Why would I want to do bigger stuff? Who cares? But I think a lot of people, especially in the industry that I was in, like uh, consulting and such, they do get tied to and they're like, oh, I would never work a, you know, sort of a blue collar type job. And now I'm like, oh, I would totally do that. I don't, I see no issue with it. To be fair, I never thought that because I did like blue collar jobs like growing up or whatever. So um, I definitely have seen people that don't want to like, you know, quote, drop down to like some other job that's beneath them. I think it's really tough when they're like big economic shocks, like a recession, right? A bunch of people who have been in a role perhaps for a long time or laid off and there's a bunch of a bunch of folks looking for work and they yeah they just refuse to consider anything that is less than what they had done before and it can stretch on for a really long time which then makes you even less marketable right yeah that's true i mean i think people talk a lot in the fi community about how gaps on a resume are not nearly as dire as we think they are and i think that's true But it also helps if you've been doing something that's kind of like really cool to talk about in an interview during those gaps. So, you know, we traveled all around Africa or something. Okay. Yeah, maybe, you know, you could, you could spin it. Like I'm an entrepreneur. I've started my own business. Now I'm looking for something else. So yeah, that's not nothing to work with. But yeah, if you're just like, 
I just sit at home watching TV all day and scouring the internet for jobs. That's a little bit less palatable to an employer, I think. So he should kind of watch out for that. Or probably should have watched out for that like six years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, you could just start a podcast for a little while and people will be like, oh, that's great. I've heard a podcast. Exactly. That's so true. <laughs> Brilliant that's idea. So true. I would really like to hear a podcast put out by Eddie. That sounds, that sounds entertaining. <laughs> that would be good. Well, well Doug mentioned uh, that there's a funny scene in Walmart, and we actually have part of that uh, at the beginning of our next clip. Well, I can't lie to you, Clark. The truth is, things ain't going too good at all. You know, I told you I borrowed the RV from a neighbor mine we live in it had to sell off the house the barn the 10 acres all i kept was a 50-foot plot pigs and the worm farm if only i had back the money that me and Catherine sent that tv preacher that was screwing the hockey players (laughs) so the noise in the background is him loading these ginormous bags of dog food Onto the cart mm-hmm. that uh, that Clark is pushing uh-huh. for the dog named Snot. Snots. It's Snots. Plural. Sorry, yeah, with multiples. Mm-hmm. Okay, because one snot is not enough. Yeah. So everyone in this room is a big dog lover. I know, and I get so angry when I see people on TV who just like definitely cannot afford to take care of a dog, and they've got like some huge monster of a dog. This I just makes me crazy. Like, how many bags of dog food does he buy <laughs> in this scene? I think there are like three different brands. Yeah, like there's cans, hundreds stuff of pounds. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like hundreds of pounds of dog food is being purchased in this scene, and uh, apparently Snots is just going to tear through it all pretty fast. Clark did know. a good job pushing that through the grocery store without uh, without yeah, losing too much speed. That's true. It also cracks me up. At one point, uh, Clark grabs a, uh, a little thing of light bulbs puts him on top of one bag of dog food, and then Eddie immediately slams a 100-pound bag of dog food right on top of the Christmas lights. And neither of them notice. They just keep going along like it's totally fine. So yeah, they're not great shoppers, I would say. Not very good at shopping. Anyway, setting the dog stuff aside, so uh, Randy Quaid, or sorry, Eddie, I should say, and his family have had to like make some pretty serious changes in their life because he's been out of work for so long. And they've downsized a lot and are now living in this pretty small RV that we see in the in the movie. So in the movie, it's presented like, oh, no, this is terrible. They're, they have to live in a trailer now. But that can actually be a really smart way to save money, right? Like there are hundreds, thousands and thousands of people in America, especially, who voluntarily live in vans or live in RVs and think it's just the cat's meow to live this mobile nomadic lifestyle. So what are your thoughts on whether this is like a smart move for them and actually something that they should be kind of happy about? Well, I think they obviously did the right thing, right? If you can't afford your home, you need to find a different home. And they they made some reasonable steps to go manage through not working for seven years. So good on them. But I don't know, we're part of the financial independence community. We're part of a long distance hiking community. Those people are big fans of the hashtag van life, which is maybe a little bit different than, than cousin Eddie's doing it. And I've seen a lot of people who have an amazing setup that they're really excited about and can have a mobile existence where they get to go stay in beautiful places and 
they don't feel like they're scrimping and saving and lack the square footage that they want or the amenities that they feel like they need to have, but they've got a better life than, than, I don't know, Joe America, who's living in a, a, a three bedroom, two bathroom house in the suburbs. That's. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Eddie can make any smart decisions, but <laughs> you know, that that's what they had to deal with. And, um, you know, they went to a place where they could have a nice Christmas, but overall it, it seems okay, but he definitely has a different outlook than, uh, you know, the van life folks. Would yeah. you ever consider van life, Doug? For short, for short stretches, um, I've daydreamed a couple times, like, hey, it would be fun to hit the road for a little while. I definitely am a homebody and I like routine, but I also like some adventure. And I would say, you know, going back and forth would be okay. The, um, the tough part is I like a lot of stuff too. So I'm okay, like going on long trips and slow travel. And we've done that a couple times, but definitely um, like to stay put for a little while to to get somewhat of a routine even if it's like a quicker trip you know just a couple weeks or something like that but i've thought about it what about you guys i mean we have lived out of a prius and been car camping hashtag prius life (laughs) for like three-ish months or so close to it um and we've done a lot of backpacking as well where you're you don't even have the car part you literally just have the tent and what's on your back so We've done it a lot. I would not want to do it full-time forever. I could see doing it for maybe like a year. Um, But yeah, I like having a home base as well. So I don't think I could do it full-time. I think you need something a little bit bigger than a van or even even the RV that they have. Um, I mean, we've paid a lot of attention to people who go sailboat cruising around the world. And that's really not all that different. Yeah, no, for sure. And and that's got a little bit of appeal for us, I think. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe something a little bit bigger than, you know, a minivan. Yeah. I There's a lot to love about that kind of lifestyle. But I do think what you were saying initially, Robert, is super important that we should be, like, sympathetic to the fact that not everyone who is living in those kind of conditions does it voluntarily. And there is a huge difference between being forced into it and doing it because you can and it's fun and you're traveling around all the time. So yeah, we should not uh, try to like impose our fan life <laughs> mentality onto Eddie because I, yeah, like this was kind of forced on them. Did you see the movie Nomadlands with, uh, okay. So I think it actually won Best Picture, didn't it? Like a year or two ago? Yeah, with Francis McDormand. McDormand, yeah. Um, everyone should watch that movie. It's really well done. It's kind of like half fiction, half nonfiction. And the book that it's based on is completely nonfiction. And it follows these people around who live this nomadic lifestyle. And many of them are not doing it by choice. It's like their last resort. So I definitely sympathize with that. It's not all glitz and glamour for sure. The Insta lifestyle. Well, if only Cousin Eddie hadn't given all of his money to the TV preacher <laughs> who was screwing the hockey player. I forgot that. That is yeah. such a good line. Yeah. Um, I mean, this gets back to the effective altruism thing that we were talking about, right? Research your charities. Try not to do charities that just like feel warm and fuzzy in the moment or... You know, somebody standing outside of a grocery store who seems really worthy of your compassion. You just don't know who you're giving your money to unless you really dig in and do the research. So, yeah, that was 
was probably a swing and a miss. <laughs> One among many that Eddie makes in life. I don't know. He's got a high batting average. Come on now. <laughs> so side note here. So Eddie, he's had uh, rough times for years, right? Even in the first movie, it, it didn't seem like he was doing that great. He's so upbeat and happy That's all true. the time. Yeah. Like he has something figured out, not the financial stuff, but he's just <laughs> like, oh, you know, whenever the kids are doing fine, but, you know, they won't have Christmas, but everything's fine. It might be the metal slash plastic plate in his head that's <laughs> mm-hmm. helping him do that. But in all honesty, you're right. He has a fantastic attitude for how horrible his conditions are <laughs> relative to what he wants them to be. Yeah, that is a really good point. Uh, we can all learn a little bit from Cousin Eddie. That's true. Smile through the pain, yeah. I guess, or something it's like that. It's like the that. zen of Cousin Eddie or something. Yeah. What's the wife's name, too? Catherine. Catherine. Catherine's super upbeat, too. Like, she made the turkey. She was super pumped about that. Yeah. The one that explodes into, like, a puff of air. That was so weird. I don't yeah. even know how you do that. I don't I don't think that's possible. I, I, I do think, though, it probably would have been pretty dry. That was just their over. It looked so golden, though. Yeah, right? it, did. it looked like a beautiful turkey. Yeah, yeah. I really wanted to try it. <laughs> Even after they cut it open and it like exploded in a puff of air. I mean, especially after that. Now okay. I'm really curious. Like, okay. what what is this like? Is it gotcha. turkey? Is it turkey jerky? Like, what what do I have here? <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our last clip. One of the main themes throughout the whole movie is that Clark Griswold is waiting for his bonus check. And at the very end of the movie, it finally arrives, and the family finds out what he's been planning to do with it. Open it, Clarky. Open it. Yeah, I hope it's a fortune, Clark. <laughs> you do, Eddie? Oh, I, just, I was going to wait till tomorrow to tell you all this, but what the heck? With this bonus check, I'm putting in a swimming pool. <laughs> That's it! That's the big one! Open it! I'm sorry if I've been a little short with everyone lately. I've been waiting for this bonus. To make sure the pool goes in as soon as the ground thaws, I had to lay out the money in advance. And until this little miracle arrived, I didn't have enough in my account to cover the check I wrote. Tear the sucker open, Dad. Yeah. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? It's a, it's a one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Oh, God. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. Uh, Cousin Eddie chiming in with that pearl you're, of wisdom. You're right. I mean, he's so optimistic, right? <laughs> yeah, he really is. Relentless. Yeah. Always up. He finds the sunny side, right? You always look on the bright side of life. Okay. Um, he opens his check in front of the whole family. How do you feel about that? I mean, I guess he he was expecting a certain amount, uh, and maybe he wasn't necessarily going to show it to them. So I guess I'm kind of okay with it, uh, given all that transpired. He was stuck in the <laughs> attic, weird stuff uh, with Eddie. So yeah, m- maybe he, he was a little stressed out. I I mean, that's fair, but man, does that feel super awkward to me. I cannot imagine opening a check like that in front of virtually anybody but you, Robert. Like, 
your out of work cousin who uh, <laughs> That's a good point. has had to downsize his life considerably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's like kind of salivating over it as he's standing next to you saying, Oh, he hopes it's a fortune, right? So I would just feel really awkward doing that. And I, I mean, I say that as someone who wishes that we were less taboo about money. I mean, we started this podcast in part because we wanted to help people be more open about finances. But still, opening a bonus check like that in front of literally everyone you're related to is what it seems like. That feels a little beyond the pale to me. Yeah. I don't remember how much he said he needed for the pool, but let's say he got 80% of what he needed for the pool and he's all like disappointed and frustrated. Like, that's really rubbing it in the face of Cousin Eddie, who gets zero. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, oh, I, I wanted $8,000. I only got six dang it, this is a problem for me. And like only six, only $6,000? Yeah, that's a really good point. So that is definitely an awkward aspect to it. I also think he's making a huge mistake by telling the family what he's going to buy with the money before he knows how much money he has, (laughs) right? That's such a crazy thing to do. It's like buying a house based on some job you think you might get with a salary that you don't know what it's going to be. I mean, it's just a, a very bad decision. Do you think Ellen wants a pool? They live in Chicago. Yeah, another excellent point. So one, they should have been making this big financial decision together. Two, it's like a big lifestyle decision, right? Whether they're actually going to use this thing. So I looked this up. The The hottest month in Chicago is July and the high there, the average high in July is 84 degrees. It gets down to the 60s every night. We live in Colorado. The high for us farther south is definitely higher. July is also our hottest month. We get up to 89 as an average high. And I feel like this is not a great place to have a swimming pool. So you get even farther north and it's just going to make like less and less sense. I do not understand the vision here. It seems like a really bad decision. What do you think? If you had a house in Chicago, would you appreciate a pool, Doug? Probably not. I mean, you could have it heated and then a hot tub close by, and then it makes a little more sense. But now you're just adding a lot more money. Yeah. You'll spend more to heat that pool than he did to run those Christmas lights. Holy moly. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He seems like someone who just doesn't think about the ongoing cost of things very much at all. So I read somewhere that on average, the cost to maintain a swimming pool, which I assume includes heating costs, but maybe not, is like 15% of the upfront cost that you use to put in the pool. So that seems pretty, pretty high to me. For most people in today's dollars, that means you're probably looking at anywhere from like a few thousand dollars, like $3,000 a year up to maybe like 10, 15. I mean, it's going to be a really large sum of money that's going to be added to your bottom line every single year. But let's talk a little bit about these Christmas lights because I think that's another hilarious ongoing cost thing that Clark Griswold clearly isn't thinking about. It's only 25,000 lamps and it was (laughs) the late 80s. So they're only incandescent bulbs. Those are, those are great, right? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so that that is such a great scene in the movie that, uh, Doug, you made such a good point talking about the cost of the Christmas lights. So he does say at some point it's 25,000 lights, twinkle lights, I think he calls them. 
And Robert, you did the math on this. So what does that come out to? So if those were seven watt bulbs, you'd be pulling 175 kilowatts of power when you're doing this. If you're buying power in the 80s at five cents a kilowatt hour, you're spending eight or nine dollars per hour. So, you know, double the minimum wage at the time, triple the minimum wage, whatever that is, per hour that you have those lights on, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to spend a bunch. If you fast forward to today's time, it's probably triple those utility rates. You're, you're spending $25 an hour just to run it, not to mention the cost to buy all those lights. Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. And he, um, he did not follow the right safety protocols with all the <laughs> extension cords. That's another great scene where it's yeah. just cascade upon cascade of more cords plugged in and then whatever wattage you said i mean that would just yeah it would, would, blow, it would trip the fuse immediately yeah, yeah. like you'd, you'd blow a breaker so, can i just interject with another point all the damage that we see to this house throughout the course of the movie like that's what he needs to spend his bonus check on assuming he gets one go fix those gutters yeah i mean they there are windows that like several windows that get broken there's a fire in the living room they're probably gonna have to replace that carpet there's uh the hole in the attic from where he fell through i think he probably did some other damage in the attic while he was stuck up there just like disaster after disaster befalls these people they are going to be spending probably thousands of dollars to get their house back to pre-Christmas condition. There was also the the chase scene with the squirrel in the house, oh, too. Yeah. There was a lot of damage yeah. all over the place. Oh, and the whole Christmas tree went up in flames. So that's, I mean, like, I guess the carpet was already shot because of the cat that caught on fire and died, leaving a cat-shaped burn mark on the carpet. <laughs> but if it wasn't gone from the cat, like... The whole Christmas tree catching on fire is definitely going to require you replacing the carpet. Well, he already wrote the hot check for the pool, so... Yeah, again, what is this guy doing? He wrote a check for more money than he had in his account to cover this thing that just, one, is going to cost him a ton to run, and two, they're probably going to use, like, three days a year. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not great. How much does a pool cost? Did you guys check on that? So... It varies a lot depending on how fancy you want to get with it, but I think the average cost for a swimming pool is something like $50,000 today. Okay, that's more than I would have guessed. Yeah, I mean, think about all the work that goes into it, right? you got to have a ton of people show up with all their big fancy equipment to dig this giant hole, pour the concrete, get all the like piping installed. It's Chicago, so surely they're heating it, so that's a whole other thing that's going to take a long time with installation. Usually people like pave a huge area around the pool right you don't just have like grass and then immediately the pool right there you got a fence around it too yeah i mean it's definitely a liability your insurance costs are going to go up swimming pools are they're a big big deal not a decision that should be made lightly at all i thought it was dicey to rely on a christmas bonus at all i feel like those are going away like in your corporate career doug did was a christmas bonus a thing no, no. I certainly, no. like, yeah. there's end-of-year bonuses that maybe happen based on performance over a calendar year, but those always seem to be paid out probably later and later and later every year because companies aren't in a hurry to, to pay out extra. Yeah, same for me. There was never any push to get people their bonuses before December 25th. It would usually be paid out, like, in January, I think. Well, they need so, to know what the numbers were for the year. It exactly. was, it's not a Christmas bonus. It's like yeah. a... It's a variable compensation strategy that's part of your compensation package that has a 
probably a somewhat formulaic component to it that is in, in no small part tied to the actual profitability of the business. So I have a question. Let's say you really like swimming pools. Yeah. You want to have a good time. What would you do to uh, like fill that need then? I think almost every even medium-ish sized city in the United States for sure is going to have some kind of a rec center with a pool available. And I think uh, here in Longmont, we definitely have a rec center with an indoor pool. And it's like maybe 30 to 50 bucks a month or something to be a member there and get access to that. That is the solution. Well, there's I see two pieces to it. One is you really like the swim exercise piece of it and that sort of thing. And the other is maybe you just like the pool culture. Maybe you want to like lay out in the sun and kind of goof around. Let's not forget about the classic above ground pool. Substantially less expensive. Right. And you can still go spend some time outdoors at your home. You could you can have dad on the grill and the kid goofing around <laughs> in the pool, splashing around and it's it's maybe not quite as nice as the in ground pool, but you know, like you get a little bit of a, a little bit of the fun for you know, a little social social stigma, right? right? Or if you really want to be economical, you can get one of those like rubber blow up things and just kind of splash around in that. If you're somebody who wants to just like lay out in the sun, I've never understood why you need a pool to do that, right? Like just lie out in the sun. The sun is pretty much everywhere as long as you stay away from trees. Well, you get hot, so you have to get in the pool to cool off. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like my blow-up pool is a perfect solution for that. That's yeah. what I'm going to campaign for. I think the above-ground pool, that is a good idea, but that's just what Cousin Eddie would do. Yeah. <laughs> He's my that's idol. <laughs> now, with the rec center, and I was thinking something like that. There are like outdoor pool membership things, I'm sure, in certain towns or whatever. But uh, I don't go to the rec center, so no one listened to me too closely. But our friend Carl, I think he said at the pool, the old people are really kind of protective over the lap lanes, so especially <laughs> early in the morning. So if you're like swimming and you're not completely in your lane or you're not sharing it properly, like they let you know. Do you know anything about that? No, I've never swum at the rec center here. I just know it's there. I've heard similar stories that they're they're a feisty crowd for despite their age. Yeah, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna get you in line. They splash you. Yeah, yeah, I do. I think maybe as I get older, that will be something that I try to take on. I think I want to be that older person that's very protective of my swim lane someday. That's my goal in life. <laughs> oh, I thought just the swimming, but you want the protective. Yeah, no, I want both. I want both. Yeah. So Cousin Eddie seemed to like the Jelly of the Month Club gift more <laughs> than Clark did. Um, in one of our recent episodes, we talked a little bit about the different expectations from a gift giver and a gift receiver. And one of the cool things about this kind of gift is you get you get it multiple times, right? Which is, is super interesting and fun. And for me, I, when I look at something that's a gift, I often think about the the kindness of whoever gave it to me. For this, you're going to think about that 12 months in a row as you're enjoying those different kind of jellies. I guess my question for you guys is, have you ever gotten any kind of a subscription type gift before? And how'd you feel about it? I don't think, I don't think I've received one, but I had friends that got like a beer of the month club. Yeah. And I, I was friends with them, so I was able to, you know, have some of that. So that was pretty good. I have given such gifts, but usually not the subscription because those are really expensive. Mm -hmm. So I would just did it myself, right? So I would, let's say it's candles. So I would buy a candle each month and give it. 
um, That's sort clever. of manually. Yeah. yeah, because it's the same kind of thing, but it's uh, way cheaper because the subscriptions are just, I mean, the shipping is so expensive. And then just the fact they coordinate everything makes it uh, kind of a pricey gift. That is such a good idea. And I don't know why I never thought to do that. Like, just be your own subscription service. That's uh, that's an awesome idea. I got a subscription thing as a gift. It was I think it was only for like three months. I did some minor free legal work for a friend. And she sent me uh, like a few months in a row of this. Um, I think it was Birchbox, which is kind of like beauty and... It's just, I don't know how, what other word there is, but like kind of fun, girly sort of gifts. And it was the kind of stuff that I never, ever would buy for myself, but it was fun having it for a little while. And it's fun to like have it be a surprise. And, you know, you that exactly like you said, you think of that person every time it shows up for a few months. So I think subscription services, especially for something that's consumable, like fruit or jelly, for example, is actually a pretty pretty great gift to give. I've gotten a few periodical subscriptions like uh, to sports magazines or something like that that maybe I wouldn't have picked up on my own, but I was appreciative of having it and it was, it was a fun source of entertainment that that stretched out for you know kids get toys for Christmas and you know on December 26th they've forgotten about them. <laughs> Whereas this I'm, I'm I have that gift for for a whole year. It's kind of fun. Yeah, and we, um, my brother, I think, gave us a subscription to Masterclass and Disney Plus um, over the last like few Christmases. He's done that, and those were great. We appreciated the heck out of those. So yeah, stuff like that that uh, doesn't take up a whole lot of space. Either it's consumable or it's some kind of like online subscription. I think those are really thoughtful gifts that are you can feel confident they're not going to end up in the landfill, right? Very true. All right. Well, I think that's about everything we had today. Doug, any closing thoughts on this fabulous film? It's a great movie. It makes me laugh every time. And luckily, I've never taken any life lessons from it or took it seriously. So <laughs> I turned out okay. I mean, I think I'm going to walk away like a renewed Eddie fan and uh, try to look on the bright side no matter what life throws at us. I think you're right, Carla. I, I think we have undervalued what cousin eddie brings to the table he's not just a slapstick humor he's a he's a bit of an inspiration he's a font of wisdom i'll make up some bracelets for us wwed <laughs> i love it i'm in sounds good to me all right guys well i think this might be our last episode for 2022 so we have had a blast hanging out with you guys this year and i hope everybody has a fabulous holiday season and we'll catch you in the new year. All right. Thanks, everybody. And thank you, Doug, for joining us. We appreciate having you. Thanks. Bye, guys.